Today is Palm Sunday, and uh, as we commemorate the time that, that Jesus entered into Jerusalem, um, which would begin the final week of his earthly ministry pre-crucifixion. You know, there was going to be 40 days after Easter where he was going to minister as well. Uh, but this is a commemoration uh, because, and you got to think about it, that this was not just the day that, that Jesus entered into Jerusalem. He had entered into Jerusalem dozens of times beforehand. Uh, even living in, in Nazareth, you know, being born in Bethlehem, uh, growing up in Nazareth, uh, he would enter into uh, Jerusalem each year for the, for the various feasts that, that would go on, uh, to go to the temple for whatever reason with Mary and Joseph. And so um, this was nothing new, except for this one was going to be different. Uh, because not only was his entrance into Jerusalem uh, a, um, a commemoration, it was also an inauguration uh, as, the pa- <coughs> excuse me, as the Passion Week uh, would begin. And so uh, it is very important for us to be mindful of those things. I don't want us to, to compartmentalize um, uh, this particular week because this week is going to be one of those weeks where, where we just sort of sit in, uh, in, in what we know is coming. Now, there's a temptation, and you're going you're gonna to read about this or you're going to hear about this on Friday uh, as, we, um, as we go through the devotions uh, every hour between the hours of 9, and 3, uh, 3, 9 a.m. and 3 p.m., which would traditionally been the six-hour period that Jesus was on the cross. We're going to be releasing videos, little short devos, um, 10, 15, maybe 20 minutes tops. And so if you're at home and you're sort of hanging out, you're going to get a notification. If you have not turned notifications on for Fort Caroline Baptist Church's uh, Facebook page, go ahead and do that. Um, if you don't know how to do that, talk to one of your kids or grandkids or find a random teenager that, that wouldn't think it's creepy for you to walk up to them and, and hand them your phone and say, turn my notifications on, okay? Uh, they, can, they can most certainly help you uh, with that because we want you to be a part of that. Um, look, we don't just fill up this week uh, with things to do because we, we want more things to do. Um, there, is some, there is something to be said for laying on the couch, okay? Uh, I want you to know that. But uh, we, we fill up this week, Maundy Thursday, uh, with our night of worship and communion uh, as we think about the Last Supper, uh, as we think about the conversation that Jesus would have with his disciples, that he would grab Peter, James, and John and go to the... To the um, uh, go to the Mount of Olives, uh, where he would he would begin to pray. He would go a little bit further into the Garden of Gethsemane, where he would pray um, not only for his disciples and pray for himself, um, but he would also pray for what I, I honestly believe, knowing his sovereignty, knowing that as a human he did not put off his humanity to, or his deity to take on his humanity. He was both a hundred percent God and a hundred percent man. I truly believe that as he was praying in the Garden uh, of Gethsemane, as he was praying. Uh, asking the Father that if it would be your will that this chalice of death would pass by me, um, knowing that, that, that what was going to be contained within that chalice of death would be, would be God, his Father's wrath that was meant for you and for me. I believe he was praying for us, uh, even though it would be thousands of years later before we would show up on the scene. And so we can't, it, it, it doesn't do Jesus justice for us just to skip ahead to Easter, we have to marinate a little bit in the brokenness of the betrayal on uh, Thursday night, the, the kangaroo court, the desolate uh, nature of, of uh, Jesus laying or being, being put into a water cistern under Caiaphas' house uh, and, and as a fulfillment of prophecy. Um, 
the, the, uh, the, the leading through the street, down the Via Dolorosa, through the old city of Jerusalem, that Jesus, uh, that he would be carrying his own cross, would have his back uh, just ripped to shreds by a cat of nine tails, uh, and then, and then uh, forced to carry uh, the, uh, the post of his, um, that his arms would be, that his hands would be, would, be, um, would be nailed to as he carries him out of the city of Jerusalem to Golgotha. Look, I want to get to Easter too. You know what? Because you know what Easter means? It means resurrection. It means happy songs. It means ham. Uh, it, it means all of the good things that, that go along with it. We have to marinate a little bit in Thursday and Friday to be able to celebrate Sunday with the jubilation that should come with the resurrection of Jesus. And so we want to invite you to be a part of that. Maybe you're like, hey, listen, I'm not a Thursday night uh, church kind of person, so I think I'm probably just going to lay, lay off of it. Don't. I would encourage you, if you can be here, if you can physically get here, get here. We, as, a, as a family, we need to be together. We need to mourn the death of Christ together that we might come together Sunday and share in his resurrection. And so we want to invite you to be a part of that Thursday night and then on Friday with your family. Um, watch the devotions. Um, they're, they're short, but they're, they're, they're meaningful as we think about the things that Jesus said from the cross uh, as he was thinking about you and me. I, I just, it, this is where we become emotional, all right? And so I want us to, to, to sit in the crucifixion that we might be able to partake in the resurrection. This series that we've been in has been purposeful. Um, we've been looking at um, how to focus our lives. Uh, I think there's so much crazy in our lives that causes us to be scattered uh, and be maybe even maybe even um, the still small voice voice of God gets drowned out by by all of the different things going on in our world. And I think there's times that 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 by Spiritual disciplines by reading God's word, by praying, by fasting, uh, by med meditating on scripture, memorizing it, journaling your thoughts uh, in scripture. I think all of those things, when they put together, they focus our gaze on Christ, which allows us to see the, the life that God wants for us. And so, um, so it's important for us, it's important for us that, that as we walk through this together, as we, as, as we, 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 practice these disciplines individually, that we should also, it allows us to come together corporately, not only to see the life that God wants for us, but what God wants for us corporately as a church body. You're before too long going to be calling a new pastor. Uh, and as, you, um, as you, you get to know him and as you get to know his family and as you submit to his leadership, as he submits to the leadership of Christ, um, it, it's important for y'all to be focused together that you might be able to, to move ahead in reaching uh, this, uh, this world for Jesus. It's important for you to do that. As I look on the screen behind me, I realize that, that I gave y'all uh, on the notes, I gave y'all the, uh, the wrong big idea for today's message. So um, <laughs> you're probably gonna need to write down what I'm about to give you. Sorry, it was Thursday was a day. Um, as we look at the last spiritual discipline, and it's, it's the hardest one, and I saved it for last because it's kind of like uh, when you take the trash out, you know, you, you pull the drawstring and you tie it all up before you toss it in the trash can. Um, for us, as far as spiritual disciplines go, obedience to Christ is pu the pulling of the drawstring. It takes everything that we put into the bag of our lives and, and it, it draws it all together. And so uh, there, ha there has to be, and, and look, church, I know that you, you may have been taught or you may have erroneously believed 
that it is possible for you as a believer in Jesus to trust Christ as Savior, to be baptized uh, in Jesus' death, you would raise to walk into newness of life, and then for some reason just feel like you can come and sit in, the, in a pew or sit in a chair on Sunday morning and get your happy with Jesus and leave, and that is all that God requires of you. And that, that, that following Jesus, being sub, submitting your lives to his will on a moment-by-moment basis is, is just not something that's for you. Let me tell you, if your belief is that you can be a Christian and not submit to the lordship of Christ in love, I tell you today, you're not a believer. It, it's rarely that I make really bombastic, you know, uh, really totalitarian kind of statements that way. But truth, church, and the truth of the matter is this, is that if you are a believer in Jesus, you will submit to his lordship. Not all the time, because you're just not good enough this side of heaven to be obedient 100% of the time. Believe me, God wishes that you were, but we're not. We are still broken people. But our attempt should be to live our lives every day for the glory and honor of Christ. That's obedience. So we're going to look at obedience. So you're going to have to write down the big idea today because, because your interim pastor is a dum-dum some days and, and doesn't send the right big idea, okay? Um, and so, so hear this. Obedience is the manifestation. Yeah, I know, big word. I thought you would be able to write it down. Um, obedience is the manifestation of all that we learn about God's character in the Scriptures, Obedience is the manifestation of all we learn about God's character in the scriptures. He is worthy. And because he's worthy, we obey. Let's read, let's read uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 together if you have your, your copy of God's word. 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 9 together. And then we're going to unpack the scriptures in the time that we have uh, today. And church, my desire for us is when we walk out of this place today, that even if you've, you've been out of church for a while, you may have been in church your whole life, or you've been out of it for a while and you decided, I'm going to come back today. The goal for me, is like if, if we want to classify what a win would look like today, is, is if you're lost in this room, you've never trusted Jesus as Savior, that you would leave having trusted Christ and begun that, that life of obedience. If, you've never tr- if you have trusted Jesus as Savior and you're just getting it wrong, my prayer is that you would leave with a, a renewed desire to get it right today. And if you're somewhere in between, let's just find one place where we can be obedient to the will of Christ and let's, let's pursue Christ together. Let's read what Peter, now mind you, this is the same Peter that denied Jesus three times. And so he, here he is, the height of hypocrisy. He is, he is writing to a, a I, I believe was, was mostly um, probably a Jewish, a converted Jewish audience uh, in this particular epistle, uh, and, and he's writing to them, and he is talking to them about putting away all of your malice and deceit and hypocrisy. Can you imagine Peter, of all people, writing this? But remember, Jesus cooked breakfast for Peter on the side of the Sea of Galilee and restored him into the ministry. In church, the beauty of Christ is that where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. So if you've gotten it wrong your whole life, and you want to try to get it right today, there is grace for you. Let's pursue Jesus together. I want you to circle, underline, or highlight a word, the very first word. For some of your Bibles, it'll say, therefore. For some of your Bibles, it will say, so. It's the crux of the entire passage, if you can believe that, okay? Let's, um, let's start there, and let's read verses 1 through 9. It says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. 
As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, (coughs) I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Who are we talking about here? Who's the cornerstone? Oh, Jesus. Yeah, if you were ever going to use a church answer, this was the place. All right? I mean, Jesus is the cornerstone. He is the capstone. He is the stone that is the most important. It said, and he is also a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who call you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What do we do with this? Praise God, right? What, what, what do we, but what do we do with this? How do we take everything that we've learned so far and we pull the drawstring and we tie it all together and just and, and live a different life than we did even yesterday? Three things. First, we repent. We repent. Look at what he says. Look how Peter starts. He says, so, all right, so in, in seminary, we were, we were taught that whenever there's a therefore or like a so, you have to ask yourself a question. What is the therefore, therefore? Okay, why is it there? Okay, and, and uh, the word therefore is, is actually a conjunction. It's a joining word. It joins two thoughts. Because of this, therefore you do this. Because of this, so you do this. Because this happened, you do this. And so he, he look at what he, he went to go back to the end of chapter one. He said, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. Remember what the purpose of the good news of the gospel is, the euangelion. What the, the, the purpose of the scriptures is this, that it is a message of hope that, that in your sin you were dead in your trespasses, but Jesus came, and because Jesus came, he offers you life, life and health and, and, and prosperity, maybe not a monetary prosperity, but he offers you a spiritual prosperity that you would not have had otherwise because as much as you think you can do it on your own, you can't without Christ. Without Christ, we are nothing. It is anything good thing that resides within us is because of God and because of his blessings on us. Because of that, so therefore, because God has been so faithful to you, Put away all malice and all deceit and all slander and hypocrisy. I want to tell you about a man named Floyd Tyree, one of my dearest friends in the world. We were probably polar opposites. He was the uh, he was actually the uh, the church treasurer at my first senior my first lead pastorate uh, in Alabama. He was a crusty old man. Uh, he was he was eighty when he uh, when he died he was he was eighty three years old. Um, he, was, he was just irritable, and he was on my search committee, which was actually just fantastic. Um, and he asked me all of these, like, innate questions. We, we, he and I viewed worship services differently and ordinances differently. We, we differed on just about everything, but I don't know that I've ever been closer to an octogenarian as I was to, to Floyd Tyree. Uh, Floyd had a deep love 
for the local church. And I promised his wife, Betty Jo, that when he died, that I would, I would remember him and keep his memory alive. So I t- now, now that he's not here to yell at me, I can tell you stories about him that he would not want me to tell. And so I want to tell you a story about Floyd. Um, Floyd, was, Floyd wanted to go on a mission trip. We had a partnership with a group in, in Alaska. And in the bush of, of Alaska, they were um, in the, actually it's kind of the frozen tundra um, uh, up in the northern part, up by North Pole, Alaska, uh, they were, um, they were, this particular group had a, um, a ministry where they would build this camp and they would use bush pilots, uh, missionary pilots, would fly into these, um, uh, these Inuit um, um, camps, encampments, and they would, they would grab the kids and they'd bring the kids to this camp and they would, they would, they would share the gospel with them and they would start these partnerships with them. Well, they needed guys that would come in and would actually build the cabins to be able to bring these kids in. So a group from our church decided to go. It was a little too rustic for my taste, okay? Um, I, I like rustic. This was a little bit too rustic for my taste, but Floyd wanted to go and Betty Jo said, Floyd, you are not going. You're 80 years old. You cannot go on this trip. And Betty Jo came to me and she said, if I let Floyd go, Will you, will you promise me that you'll take care of him? I said, well, I'm not going, but I trust the guys that are, uh, that, that we will find him. Or that, that we, will, we will make sure that, that if he gets lost, we'll find him, we'll take care of him. Um, they had a satellite phone with them. I get a call from the, the team leader, his name was Hugh Plot. Hugh called me one day and he said, he said, he said Patrick, we've lost Floyd. I said, how can you lose Floyd? He said, he said we lost him. I said, we told Betty Joe we wouldn't lose Floyd. Go find him. And I mean, he was in his faculties. They had been working hard on this particular day, and Floyd was super tired. And so, so I, I, got the, I got a photo later, which thankfully I'm not going to share with you. Um, Hugh walked around, walked down to the lake. I, I, know where, I know where you think this is going. Um, but Hugh walks down to the lake, and, and he hears some splashing. Now, mind you, this is a lake that has been, that is, is actually a... Um, uh, it's, a, it's a spring in Alaska, frigid cold, and he rounds a corner and he sees Floyd Tyree down to his skivvies bathing in this water that's about 45 degrees. He's screaming because it's so cold. And Hugh said, Floyd, what are you doing? You're going to get hypothermia. He said, he said Hugh, I, I, we've been working all day and we got hot and I just had to come get clean. I just, I had to get clean. And so he ran in his skivvies and took a bath in, in water that was 45 degrees. And so Hugh calls me, sends me a photo of Floyd in his skivvies, which I won't share with you to protect his memory. I, I wish I hadn't seen it. But I'll never forget Floyd saying, I just had to get clean. Church, when you trust Jesus as Savior, you're not completely clean yet. You are justified. Salvation is both a one-time and a continual event. You are justified in in the righteousness of Christ, imputed to you because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. But the process of salvation, of cleaning you, takes the rest of your lifetime until you see Jesus Christ face to face. How do you start to live with, to, how do you put those things away, all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all slander and envy? You start off by repentance. That's the picture of Floyd here. It, it, it's, not, 
But it's not here, it's not clothes, and it's not our bodies. It's our thoughts. It's our words, our actions. It's our habits. The malice that we have against other people. It's the deceit that we use to get what we want. It's the hypocrisy of living one way when you're here at church amongst your family, but then you go out in the world and you live any way that you want. It's the slander, it's the things that you say, or maybe even the things that you think about somebody else, or the envy that someone has something that you don't have. They have the job that you want, they have the, they have the, the house that you want, they have the car or the boat that you want, or you know, you know, maybe they have like the, the beautiful, luscious uh, hair that you want. I think of our, of our wonderful drummer, Andrew, who has this beautiful hair, this beautiful head of hair, this mullet. And I think I want that. That, that phrase, I know, let's rein it in. Peter says, because the word, this word is the good news that was preached to you, because of that, put away these things, get rid of it, clean up. Ephesians chapter 4 Verses 22 through 24, he said, Paul says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self. You put off the sinfulness of your old person. You put on the righteousness of Christ because you were, at the end of verse 24, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Put off the old. Put on the new. I don't know if you ever knew this, but in the first few centuries of the local church, baptismal candidates, they didn't wear t- they didn't get branded t-shirts with the church's logo. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, they didn't wear these white robes that churches used to wear, still do, I think, in some, some churches. They were actually baptized naked, which we're going to be practicing. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. Um, <laughs> we're not going to do that. They were actually baptized naked. It was a symb- symbolism that they were putting off their old self, and then they were given, when they came up out of the water, they were given a new set of clothes. All of this was symbolic to the complete change the gospel had in their life. Clean up. Get rid of anything you have that's evil, that lives within you, through the power of the gospel and of Christ. So the first thing is we see in verse 1 is to repent, but we also see that we're to gather. In obedience, we gather. Verses two, verse 2, he says, Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that that by it you may grow up into salvation, if you have indeed tasted that the Lord is good. So why do we gather? Well, first we gather to remember. Some translations are going to render this, to crave the pure milk of the word. Spiritual, or the, the word spiritual here is the Greek word logikos. It, it comes from the root word logos, which means the word of God, right? The, the, that in the beginning, John 1 says, was the word and the word was with God. So Peter references being born by the word, by the living word, by Christ. But there's also an insinuation that if you're going to be born into Christ, that you are also going to heed what his words tell us. 
Believer, it's incumbent upon us that if we've been changed by Christ, that we would crave his word, that we would want it, that we couldn't live without it. People get hurt in church all the time. We've talked about this before. And I've, I've had <coughs> people that have told me and who have kindly have told me they're leaving a church that I was pastoring. And they say, well, Pastor, we're just not being fed. Can I, in love, can I tell you that? Can I, can I tell you something kind of, kind of rough today? And I, I don't mean it harshly, but I, I do mean it directly. Not being fed is a terrible reason to leave a church. It, if the pastor or your life group leaders at this church are not teaching the scriptures, by all means, leave. Go find a church that is. The pure spiritual milk is not your preferences being catered to. It is the inspired and errant word of God that cuts down to the joint and to the marrow. You can't say if you're sitting under the authority of God's scriptures that you're not being fed. If you're not being fed and the word of God is being preached, that's on you. That's not on them. When I was a kid, I started with a bottle. When I was a baby, I started with a bottle. Like my parents gave me a bottle. I didn't get to 300 pounds by staying on a bottle my whole life. I mean, let's just be honest here. There was a point in my life, I, I had my first Big Mac in Cherokee, North Carolina. I think I was five or six. Can I tell you something? I never went back. Like somehow, somehow or another, the, the pure spiritual milk Paul is going, to, is going to talk to the local church and he is going to say, there comes a point that you move from the spiritual milk to the meat. There is both milk and meat here. There is milk for the new believer to grow your affections for Christ, but there is the meat to grow you deeply, to, to put the heft on, if you will. But man, when I learned about Chinese buffets and Big Macs, man... It was a whole different world. But we gather to remember, in obedience, we gather to remember all the Lord has done through us that we read about in his word. We also gather to forget. What do we forget? Well, quite honestly, we're to forget some bad habits. In verses 4 and 5, he says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I love that, that beginning of verse 4. He says, as you come to him. We don't just come to Jesus once. Every day we keep coming to Jesus. Like, like, like you don't go to the gym once and go, Whew, after that, you, you, you leave and your arms are like jelly and your legs hurt and you're tired. And you go, man, I've been to the gym. I am buff. You don't do that. I mean, I clearly don't go to the gym at all. But, but if you're a workout warrior, like if, if you'd love to go to the gym, the more you go, the more you want to go. You start seeing gains, you, you get smaller here, you get bigger here, you get bigger in the leg, like you, you, all those things that, that, that you've been, the gains you've been working for, you want those things. You don't just go to the gym once and go, oh, that's it. 
Teachers in the room, your kids, have you ever told your kids to, to, to just come to school one day? We're going to teach you everything you need to know, and that's it. Whew, man. Why do we force our, our children to go to school every day? Why, if you want to grow and you want to become healthy, why do you go to the gym almost every day? Because just coming once isn't enough. There has to be a certain habitual side to it. We come to Jesus every day in that same way. We come to Jesus every day. Every time you open the word, you come to Jesus. Every time you pray, you come to Jesus. Every time you listen to the Spirit's leading in your life, you come to Jesus. Every time you memorize Scripture, you come to Jesus. Every time you fast and you pray and you agonize over something or someone and, and you take this and you, you drop this in Jesus's, at Jesus' feet, you come to Jesus. Every time you come to worship, you come to Jesus. You put off the bad habits. You forget the bad habits. You come in and you remember all that Christ has done for you and you want to do more. And as we come to Jesus every day, we are built together into a spiritual house and a holy priesthood, offering sacrifices that are acceptable to God. But what does that mean? In church, I pastored one time. I had a, I had a lady come to me who was unhappy. Um, the kids had had a lock-in uh, at the church. They stay all night. My youth pastor was crazy, all right? So he, um, he, he had 65 kids, and they were all uh, in the church, running around the church all night, you know, drinking Red Bulls and all kinds of fun stuff. And they had a Nerf war, okay? Apparently that's a thing, all right? And so all these, so I'm walking into church the next day, and I'm, I keep finding in the corners of the room these Nerf darts. And I'm like, man, it's killing me. And so, and I had a lady come up to me, and she says, Pastor, we have a problem. And I said, what, what's the problem? She said, she said, I found a Nerf dart in the sanctuary. And I said, okay. I said, I found them in the fellowship hall. I said, I said we're probably going to be finding them for months. <laughs> I said, she goes, no, you don't understand. They were, they were playing Nerf in the sanctuary. And I go, okay. They were playing Nerf in the fellowship hall too. She said, no, the sanctuary is holy. You don't go, you don't, you, don't, you don't play Nerf in the sanctuary. And I go, okay, what's holy about it? She said, that's, that's God's house. And I said, and it, it was my opportunity to share with her a very important truth I want to share with you. When Jesus came and lived and died, the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. The temple became the people. God resided in us. This room if it were to be destroyed today, the church would live on. Peter is using this Old Testament imagery here. In the Old Testament, the, the temple was the place where God res resided. Now, church, we are the temple. God resides in us. If you want to encounter God, if you're a believer, he resides within you. The temple is not a place anymore, church. The temple is a people. God doesn't live in a building. Thank God. He lives in his people. Y'all are the sanctuary. So when Peter says, put off all the ugly stuff, he's wanting you to clean up the house so that God's house is worthy of his presence. We gather to remember. We gather to forget the old habits. We also obey. 
Peter's going to quote some Old Testament scripture here. Let's go through it together as we look at verses 6 through 9. He says, For it stands in scripture, Behold, I'm laying a stone, in, I'm, staying, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone that's chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. That's Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 16. He's going to go on. He says, So the honor is for you, for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. That's Psalm 118 in verse 22. And then finally in verse 8, he says that a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. It's Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 14. Why did they stumble? Because they disobeyed the message. And if you go your whole life and disobey the message of Christ, that is, i.e., you don't come to him in faith, then your destiny is to stumble, to be a rock of offense. And Jesus will one day say to you, depart from my presence, for I never knew you. So Jesus, what I, what I love, he quoted some of these same verses about himself. He himself claimed to be the cornerstone. He was the one that the builders rejected and the rock that causes people to stumble and fall. Because church, why is Jesus a rock that causes you to stumble and fall? Because there comes a point in everyone's life that you have to make a choice. Is Jesus your savior or is he just another guy? You have to make that choice. You're not going to slide in the back door of heaven. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is the issue here. He is the cornerstone upon which the entire temple of God is built, and it depends. We either come to Jesus and are built into God's temple, and we become his priests, the co-heirs to Christ, or we reject Jesus, and we stumble, and we fall because of him. Jesus is either precious to us, or he is rejected by us. Jesus made himself the issue, and Peter explains it. It's all about Jesus, church. And Peter's going to use this picture. In, in, uh, when the disciples were standing in Caesarea, or Caesarea Philippi, and they're looking at Pan's temple, and Jesus says, he asked Peter, he says, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus is going to say, that's great, Peter. On this rock, I'm building my church, the Petros. The little rock. You're going to be my hands and my feet. He's the big rock, but Peter, you're the little rock. Peter uses a different word here. He uses the Greek word lithos. It deliberately, so that no one that hears this message can say that Peter is the cornerstone. He intentionally deflects. He says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're God's special possession that you may delight and declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Church, live in obedience. It becomes our sacrifice to God. Now, let's draw the string. How do we delight in Christ? How do we obey Christ with our life and why? Flip over to Matthew chapter 21. Let's look at him who the, the Bible calls you to be obedient to and just who he is. Matthew chapter 21 and verse 1 is the triumphal entry. As Jesus enters on Palm Sunday, fulfilling the prophecies, he says, Now when they draw near, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, 
to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them. And he will send, he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them, and they brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and Jesus sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them along the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. In four days after that, many, probably not all, but many of the same people that were laying their cloaks on the ground and waving palm fronds and shouting, Hosanna to the son of David, Hosanna in the highest, would be the same ones that said, give us Barabbas. And when Pilate said, what shall I do with this Jesus? That many in that same crowd would say, crucify him. Church, we are a fickle people. But Isaiah chapter 53 says the Lord laid upon him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. If you've been running from Christ, there is grace for you. If you are a part of that group that one day shouts Hosanna in the highest or praise forever to the King of Kings, and you're cursing his name the moment you leave campus. There's grace for you. If you've been hurt by the church, there's grace for you. If you've run from God like Jonah, there's grace for you. If you sat under a tree and begged to die like Job because your circumstances seem interminable, there's grace for you. The one who entered into Jerusalem also entered into the Passion Week and would be betrayed, would be tried and convicted, would be isolated, would be beaten, would be crucified and laid in a borrowed tomb and would be resurrected for you. Come to Jesus today. We want to give you that opportunity. As I close in prayer today, if you have some need or concern, Pastor Matt's going to be standing in the back. I'll be standing down front. If you've never trusted Jesus as Savior, please don't wait. Come to him today. Don't, be, don't allow Jesus to be the, the stone that you've rejected. Allow him to be your cornerstone. For God is good. Father, we love you and we honor you. And as we leave this place today, this week, may we be mindful of what the passion means to us. And that is that our Savior suffered, bled, and died on our behalf. Father, as we leave this place today, may we go knowing that your grace goes ahead of us and that you forgive us where we sin.
God, if there's somebody in this room that's never trusted you as Savior, may they trust you today, beginning that faith journey with you. May they put off all envy and slander and malice and hypocrisy and deceit and put on the righteousness of Christ today. And may this Passion Week be different this week for them than they've ever experienced. We pray these things in his name. Amen.